0: You're listening to Garibaldi Red, a Nottingham Forest podcast brought to you by Nottinghamshire Live. Hello and welcome to Garibaldi Red, the Nottingham Forest podcast from Nottinghamshire Live. My name is Matt Davis and I'm joined today by former Reds winger Paul Anderson and Greg Mitchell returning to the podcast from Forza Garibaldi. Paul, good evening, how are you? Evening, I'm very well, yourself? Yes, not too bad, not too bad at all, thanks. Greg, yeah, yeah, looking in his good mirror,
1: good
0: <laughs> good how are you? Good start. How are you?
1: Yeah, good. Very well.
0: Good, 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 good. Um, international break, so uh, a, few, a bit of a spell for Forest without game, but we'll look back on the last two games to start with. I don't normally reflect too heavily on a game that was a week ago, but the Norwich game was pretty um, disappointing, would certainly be one word to describe it. I mean, Greg, I know you all have watched it. What did you make of that Norwich game?
1: Uh, well, it's over after... You know, as soon as they scored in the 12th minutes, you felt like the game was over uh, and we just never got any better. It it was really rare because even though we've had a poor season, there always seems to be a decent half of football where we make a bit of a fight back. But, you know, 2-0 after 20 minutes, it was game over straight away and best forgotten about and and moved on.
0: Yeah, I mean, Paul, you'll have played in games where you've been on the wrong side of it, and you'll have been pretty much outclassed. I think it was fair to say Norwich outclassed Forrest. What do you think the atmosphere would have been like in the dressing room afterwards as a, as a professional player to have been so badly outplayed?
2: It's tough. lot you never want to be, you never want to be outclassed at all. You want it to at least be be close. Um, obviously, Norwich are right at the top of the league, and they're there for a reason. Um, they're playing some great stuff and I hate to admit it obviously with my Ipswich connections um, but they're, they're flying and they're doing well and obviously Forest have had a bit of a inconsistent season and um, I think you just have to, sometimes you just have to give everything you've got and sometimes it's not good enough and look 2-0 is not a disgraceful result. I think they'll go in there and they'll go look we were outclassed today, it's not good enough, we need to give more performance of better performance, harder performance, and we move on and and sort of you focus on the next game and at the start of the season or when you're coming up to games, you think some games are winnable, some some you're going to try and get a result. And against Norwich they'd have probably just been trying to get a result and unfortunately on the night they they probably didn't quite do enough. You
0: touched on something there about, you know, you dust it off in the dressing room afterwards. One thing I thought on the pitch was that they wouldn't admit it, but they kind of looked like they accepted a 2-0 defeat as the best they were going to get. Without even Maybe they didn't even say that to each other. Is that something from your experience that that happens to a team? You kind of think, okay, we'll take the 2-0 and move on, even if there's still 20 minutes left in the game?
2: No, I've never been on a pitch. Sometimes you, you try and do... You try and play a certain way or you're, if you're 2-0 behind or 1-0 behind, you might try and get something out of the game. Sometimes it just doesn't go for you. I'm sure we've watched many a game where the game has just not worked for one of the teams for whatever reason, whatever tactics you try. And look, under Chris Hutton now, they've done fantastic. They've conceded next to no goals. They've had a, a relatively all-right run since the turn of the year. Um, they've not been bad. And look, sometimes you do get outclassed and at the end of the day, Norwich are right up there for a reason. And unfortunately, Forest are at the, the wrong end at this moment in time, really, for a reason as well. So when you're playing the top team against the bottom team um, or one of the, the bottom teams, hopefully going to end up in the middle, um, there's always going to be one team that are probably performing slightly better with confidence and everything else on their side.
0: I suppose to Forest credit, Greg, they went to Brentford and they put in a much better showing, especially second half. Does that encourage you for the rest of the season?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I must admit, after the Norwich game, you looked at the run of uh, games and thought, where are we getting the points here? And especially the second half against Brentford, we just showed real fight. I mean, they must be sick of us because we always seem to manage to do well against Brentford. But um, it was just a cracking performance, completely different. Uh, I know we made, I think, four changes, but I thought we were going to go on and win it. I really did. And it was such a shame we didn't. And God knows what their manager was talking about. That club is obsessed with the XG and <laughs> all this stuff that we're not really used to up here. But he was talking a load of rubbish when he, thought, he said he thought they could have won 4-1. I thought we were the dominant team in that second half.
0: Yeah, you, weren't, you probably haven't seen that, Paul. Thomas Frank coming out and saying, you know, we'll take a 4-1 win m- morally or something. I can't remember what their <laughs> comment really was, but it was, crazy. it was a bit weird. <laughs> this is a tangent. Where do you stand on XG, Paul? Do you think way too much is made of stats in the game or not?
2: Look, at the end of the day, if it was a 1-1 draw, it's a 1-1 draw, that's your stat. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, look, I'm all for stats. Like, I used to run further than everyone else, so I used to use it as a positive. Because it was my best stat, but I might not have touched the ball as much as other players. So you can, you can make stats look however you want a stat to look. At the end of the day, when you're playing in the Championship or any level of football, the main stat is the stat that is there at the end of 90 minutes. And look, you could, you could say exactly the same with sort of Liverpool, Man City, where they dominate possession for 70, 70 80% possession. But the other team might have more shots. So mm-hmm. how how do you look at the stats? Like, do you look at possession as a positive stat, or do you look at the goal? What is it that's a positive stat? Mm. We, you, you can make any stat look good if you put it in the right light. So but if if his moral four-one win is is his way, then look, that's that's his prerogative, isn't it?
0: True, true. Um, People who are watching long do feel free to comment and we'll pick up a couple of the comments as we go along, I'm sure. One player who stood out in that game, particularly Greg, was um, James Garner. Are you starting to worry that if he plays that well for the remaining games of the season, that Forrest might not have a chance of getting him
1: back next season? He's just, I mean, it's typical of the, the gulf between the top Premier League sides and where we are in the Championship that a player that I'd be amazed if he, you know, was anywhere near the Man U squad next season. And that's what gives me hope that if we could have him next season, he could be the difference. He could be the player like we had in Matty Cash last year. I know it's different positions, but just that cut above what we've got at the minute that can really change a game and give the other players so much confidence. And hopefully, selfishly, he's not ready for a Man United you know, squad number yet. Um, because he yeah, he's superb. He's such a good player, such a young player. Um, I'd I'd be so happy to get him next season. I really would.
0: Mm. I mean, Paul, you've you've been that young player in a sense as you know, playing a very big club in Liverpool with a good career ahead of you, but very little prospects of playing in the first team. Yeah. What would you What would you kind of recommend to Garner next season if it's if he's got an option to choose what he wants to do?
2: Look, again, I I look back on my time and I don't regret any part of my career, any of the decisions I've made. Yes, I would have liked to have made different decisions at certain times in my career. But at the end of the day, if we're honest, he is aiming to play for that Man United team. When I came to Forest on loan, my aim was to have a good season in the Championship, hopefully be in and around the squad at Liverpool when I went back. It didn't quite work out. But you know what? I then signed for Forrest on a permanent and had three amazing years at, at Forest. Well, two specially amazing seasons. Um, for him, I know Forest fans don't want to hear it. If he has an option from the Premier League or he has an option, which we would hope Forest will be challenging for that top six next season, you would imagine he's going to have those sorts of options of teams at the top of the championship, if not forest being one of them so hopefully he has a nice positive feeling towards forest just like i did after my spell but mine was my second loan obviously following my swansea time so beyond my loan spell was right it's going to be permanent now or i was going to stay at liverpool and i chose the permanent move to forest Mm. and for him i'm not sure what his journey is whether he's wanting to continue on another loan. So if he's doing another loan, it has to be a progression. So is it a progression with Forrest because you're going to be at the right end of the table or will he go to a, not that I would say there's a bigger club in the Championship, there isn't, but someone who might be classed more as the favourites to get promoted or does he have an option to go into the Premier League or a Man United thinking about him being in and around their squad? Yeah, like He's, he's going to have those decisions, I suppose, and those conversations come the end of the season.
0: What was your attitude going um, from Liverpool into the Swansea dressing room initially and then the, the Forest dressing room? Do players who were there look at you as thinking, oh, this is going to be some young kid with a bit of an ego about him and you have to go in there and be humble and say, you know, say the right things? Or do you go in there and try to make a, a big impression straight away? How did you go about those loans when you were a young kid setting out?
2: Guys, look, I can't answer the question from other people's point of view and what they were thinking of me coming into their changing room. I have no idea. Mm-hmm. Um, coming to my end of my career, where I'm at sort of now, I have spoke to players in the time that opposition teams that I used to play against were like, God, this boy's good. He's quick. He's sharp. Like We don't want to play against him, which is obviously really nice things for people to say about me. But from my point of view exactly the same as Garner's. Is his, his aim is to play for Man United. My aim was to play for Liverpool and Swansea at the time, then Forest, were just a stepping stone for me to try and get to that level, to get experience, play first-team football, get my name out there. Um, and it, it, you have to be selfish about the situation and I'm, I'm helping Swansea Swansea helping me. And it was the mm-hmm. same when it went to Forrest. I'm helping Forrest because they had a good player. And Forest are helping me by allowing me to play in the Championship, giving me an opportunity to hopefully go back to Liverpool. And look, it didn't quite work out. Plan A didn't quite happen. But you know what? I was over the moon with Plan B, playing for Forrest for four seasons overall. Um, not many people can say that. And again, he's in a position probably similar to myself where he's going to have decisions to make this summer, I would imagine.
0: Yeah, I mean, I was going to ask you, who helped you make those decisions? Was it your your parents, your agent, your coaches at Liverpool? Obviously, you had managers from Swansea and Forest in your ear. How did you come to those decisions?
2: Again, you you just have to weigh up everything. Um, I knew I wasn't going to get an opportunity at Liverpool, even though they were... Well, they weren't trying to push me out the door, but I think Liverpool had some financial issues when that option came up. So, for me, did I want to sit around and stay and play in an under, I don't know what the league was, a reserve league at the time, under 23s, as it would be now, maybe getting the odd game playing for Liverpool in the first team, which, yes, as an experience, would be amazing. But, for me, all I've ever wanted to do is play football. I don't want to sit on the bench. I don't want to be in squads. I want to be playing football at the highest level possible. And, that summer, I obviously had lots of conversations with my parents. I had an agent at the time who was who was working well on my behalf. And like you said, I had managers in my ear and I had Liverpool saying, look, you can stay here if you want, but you're not going to play. So it's it's my choice. Um, and you round it all up and you, you make the decision which you think is going to be the best for you moving forward. Because at the end of the day, we know it's a very short career and... Uh, my aim was to play in the Premier League, and it was what do I think was my best? What was the best opportunity? What was the best journey for me to go on to to achieve that? And look, we weren't far off when I was at Forest for those two years. No,
0: certainly weren't. Should have should have got over the line, probably. But you know, that's a conversation we've had on your episode, which people can check out um, in previous episodes. And this, is a really good one, so people should check that out. Um, Greg, one thing that Paul said struck me there about. Forrest being at the top end of the championship, it kind of emphasises the importance that they do actually need to try and finish this season well beyond just actually staying in the league, don't they?
1: Yeah, you know, listening to that kind of truth hurt a little bit because it does make you think that, of course, his manager at Man U, his agent, everyone wants progression from him. If we only just scrape survival, we're surely not going to be that first choice. But we're within touching distance of mid-table. If we can have a good run at the end of the season... He says a few nice things about the club. I'm just trying to think positive here, and we signed some decent players, you know, towards the end of the transfer window. Hopefully, Manu might decide, yeah, Forest is the club for him, and they're going to make a real good go of it. Um, because, like Paul says, there's not many bigger teams than than Forest in the Championship, but our, our current league position it, it stinks a bit, and uh, it's not going to do us any favors in the summer.
0: Let's look at the run-in then. I've got the fixtures here. Um, I hope these are the right fixtures. Yes, they are. Greg, what do you make of that? Is that a tidy enough run into
1: Forest to finish the season quite well? It does look a little bit nicer to us than the last few weeks. Uh, Cardiff away is always going to be really tough. Um Forest Cupia well, now you know when you read through them, every game's tough, isn't
2: it? <laughs> you just can convince yourself they are, yeah.
1: <laughs> I just hope it doesn't come down to like, it'd be nice to be playing Birmingham knowing that we've got a nice big gap. Uh, and I'm not too worried, to be honest. I think we're just limping home now. I really do.
0: Hmm. What's that like to, uh, Paul, actually, I mean, if Forest are limping home, how do you think the players will feel about that? They won't want to do that, will they? What do you make of that Running with one of your old clubs, Bristol City, in there and a few other tasty fixtures?
2: Look, the, the Championship is such a difficult league and especially the way the season is at the minute with no fans. Like, you've got no idea how fit people are. It, it's... Everything's different. It's a complete different situation this year, so it's hard to really say. But, look, if you put that on other seasons, you could say, well, do you know what? Forrest could win every single one of those mm-hmm. games. And on other seasons, and you're looking at that, you're going, I'm looking at four or five of those, that you're going, they tough games. As a player, look, Forest have got nothing to play for now when you're, when you're talking in terms of playoffs, automatic. Unfortunately, it's just not going to happen. What it is is can you get two or three wins under your belt as soon as possible so when you're playing Stoke around there, like you say, Birmingham Stoke, one of those games you're going, Do you know what, we're safe, we're getting ready for next season, let's tr- try and get a good positive couple of games at the end there. Um, let's get a good couple of results, put us in a good position, just like Greg mentioned. Um and look, Forrest's a big team. It's a big club. You will, you, will, you will bring players wanting to come to Nottingham Forest. Like I'm, I'm telling you now, people will want to play for Nottingham Forest. It's a big club with an amazing stadium and amazing fans. Like You will have no issues in people not wanting to come there. Just because they're not at the, the right end of the, season, the table this year, next year you've got Chris Hewton as your manager. People will want to play for him you've got an amazing club that look even even when i was there but ever since i've left you're talking the last 10 years every every year they're going for it like you've signed lyle taylor this year to to push you've beat other teams to sign him because you're pushing to try and be at the right end of the table so it's not as if the club aren't backing to to go in the right direction so mm. every year there is promise that, uh, to to go to the right end and they will do the same this summer as well. I have no doubt in that. So you, you're not going to have to worry about trying to bring good players into that club because everyone wants to go there. Do
0: you think players feel the weight of expectation of playing for Nottingham Forest? Because it's been so long out of the Premier League, there's always that, that pressure. Is that
2: something that you ever felt? Uh, yeah, but but you set out your target. Uh, me as a player, uh, look, do the fans maybe slightly live in the past a little bit? Yes. But you know what? It's a huge club with, a, with amazing history. And you have to hold on to that because Nottingham Forest is a massive, massive club around the well, around England, around Europe and around the world. It's a huge club. So, yes, there is added pressure onto it. But you know what? You set the pressure on yourself. So the first season I was there, um, we knew that all we, our, our target was to avoid relegation. That, that was the pressure that we'd set on ourselves to avoid relegation. Then when Billy came and then we had the second season, we were aiming for the top six, whether or not we would have got there, but we were aiming and it just so happened that we ended up being right at the top. And then the following season, we were aiming top six again. And then obviously the last year, which ended up as a bit of a mess with everyone, with sort of the whole thing, Billy going, Steve McLaren coming in, him going, the owner dying. It was it was just a mess of a season. And you know what? I think the, we did very well to stay in that league that year because there was so much that had gone on, even though there was probably hopes of us being in the top two. So, again, every club has their own pressures, has their own things. You've got someone like Wickham this year who are bottom of the league, got the smallest budget there. Their aim would have been to try and survive relegation. It's not looking as if it's going to happen, but you never know that was their aim. So that's their pressure.
0: Back in the present, when we talk about um, finishing the season strongly, one way to do that is to score some goals. And that's been Forrest's problem. And one of the reasons I wanted to get you on, Paul, apart from out of Ghana is um, Gary Birtles talks about the quality in the final third and what Forest are putting in the box. I wanted to get a winger's point of view about the service to strikers. Uh, Gaz talks a lot about hitting areas, don't cross the players, put it in the right spot. When I mean, do you agree with that as a winger from your personal experience? What what kinds of livery were you looking to get in the box?
2: It depends on the situation. I'm gonna be honest. If you look at even Kevin De Bruyne, let's say he's one of the best players that the Premier League's seen, he hits areas. He he doesn't pick out players, but to contradict it. You're picking out an area where that player is. So, if I'm crossing the ball, if I know someone's at the back post, I'm aiming for an area where he can get there. There's no point in me playing it along the floor towards the front post because he's never going to get there. So, depending on where the runs are coming from and where the player is, is roughly where you're going to be thinking of where you're going to put the ball. So, very rarely would I say I am picking a player out, pinpoint, very rarely. But there are obviously ones where you might get to the byline and someone's at the back stick, so you stick it up for them and you stand it up and they run in on, and they head it. At the end of the day, they're going to have time to be able to adjust to your ball. Um, look, you might have someone running in late, so if they're running in and you're pulling it back, yes, you're picking out a player. Or if you get closer to the goal, you're trying to play it across to pick out a player. But again, it's difficult to say without knowing the exact scenario, but more often than not, to answer your question and probably to back up what Gary Bertles has been saying, is I would more often than not hit areas.
0: And when you're crossing the ball, would you be mindful of who you're crossing it to? I mean, for example, Dexter Blackstock might want it stood up to the back post, but Robert Earnshaw might have wanted it a low ball pulled back. Is that always in the back of your mind as a winger?
2: Definitely, but again this comes down to philosophies and I think this is why sometimes teams get a little bit lost. A manager, Billy Davis was the best at it. He signed players to play the way he wanted to play in the right positions. So he knew who he was signing for the reasons. So when I played with Dexter or when I played with Robert Earnshaw, it was you, like you say, you you do something different for those players. So, if you had, well, I didn't play with uh, Darius Henderson, but again, he's a big hitter, Dexter Blackstock, um, Joe Garner to a certain extent. Um, he was very good in the air, even though he wasn't massive. I knew how to play Dele Adibola. So I knew how to play with those players. And then I knew how to play with Burnshaw, McGoldrick, um, I think of others that were there at the time. So you know how to play with your players. Look, some teams get lost in that by what I was saying. They will just put people on there and they won't have a philosophy of their play. But I knew exactly what I had to do when I was with the right players and that's what Billy was a genius at for me.
0: Uh, listening to Paul there, Greg, it's, it reminds me of the present Forest team and maybe they haven't signed players for a manager's philosophy and they haven't uh, kind of... Adopted that style and play of you know that Chris Hughton wants to have it. So it's definitely a work in progress, isn't it?
1: Mm. And I mean, it's hard for for current Forest in the last few years because if you if a manager did sign players for the way he played, you know the way it's gone. A few months later, that manager's not there anymore. Um, that's why I'm glad it seems Chris Hughton seems to be settling down. You know get safe this season. And then it's really his time next season A long, a proper summer break this time, proper pre-season, you know, and, and he will get his kind of players. He's been around long enough now that he knows exactly how to do it. And um, I, I really am more excited about next season. And it is just about for me now, just closing the uh, curtain on this season and, and getting ready. <laughs>
0: Yeah, they need to sign the players that fit Hewton's philosophy, don't they? I mean, like, obviously he didn't sign Guerrero, but a player like that doesn't really fit how Hewton wants to play, does it? And you could see he's been a bit of putting round pegs and square holes, hasn't he, Greg, to, to get through this, I would say.
1: Oh, definitely. Definitely. And, you know, he has managed to get a few of his own in and, and some of them have worked, but... Um... I just think we don't need quantity anymore, do we? We're really good at signing a lot of players recently, and we just need, you know, it might be as little as you know three or four decent players for him. We've obviously got to sort out the attacking options because the defence has been playing very well, really, even though we've got the injuries. Uh, but you know, I'm sure we, we're going to mention it. But you know, joint top scorers own goals. Everyone seems to know that now, and. That's not right. That's not right in March saying that, isn't it? So something's seriously got to change there. And it might not even necessarily be the strikers' fault. Are they not getting the service? I'm not sure. But, you know, we, we've got to sort that out if we are serious about doing something next season.
0: Mm, true. And um, One player who, like you say, was a January signing who's done well and got his first goal the weekend was Kravinovic that was his first goal in 12 appearances I think what what would you hope that would do for his confidence Paul when you go into a club you want to make an impact and it's taken a while you'd hope he might kick on now
2: yeah look it's difficult and there's there's always a big pressure if you're an attacking player there's always pressure on you to deliver whether it's a, um, whether you're setting goals up for your assists or whether you're scoring uh, that's that's what you get judged on so So, yeah, that will have relaxed him. Hopefully, it will push him on for wanting to go and score a few more goals. Um, And again, look, Forrest have got... You're talking about not scoring goals and things. You've got strikers up there who are proven goal scorers. So, Graben, um, Murray's come in, um, Lyle Taylor. um, I'm sure there's others I'm missing out um, who are proven goal scorers at this level, and the level above. So it's not necessarily that. It, it, scoring goals is as a, as a team game. And I think Chris Houghton has got it much better now. Um, he's obviously had plenty of clean sheets. Look, some of the games may have been a little bit boring, but when you come in, you have to settle the chip and you have to make that happen. And he's done that and he's very good at doing that. And again, once he gets that set up, and you start getting your midfielders working alongside your defenders, working alongside your strikers, that's when you can start to uh, start to build. And I think there's no stopping. There's that many games this season. It's Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, all the time this year because of obviously the way everything's been going on. Um, once he gets to the summer, like you're saying, he can settle the ship. He can bring signings in who he wants. He can bring signings in who are going to suit his philosophy and how he wants to play, on top of what they've already got, which are still good players. Let's not be on, let's not be wrong about it. They're good players. It's the squad's not too dissimilar to where it was last season. I know it finished on a, a sour note on the last day, but they were in the right area. Um, and look, you'd much rather be there than where the club are now.
0: Um. Greg, would you want Kravinovic back next season?
1: Again, yeah. Just like Garner, really, for me. I think he's shown so much promise and, you know, he's, he's, he's Benfica, isn't it? From a big club and they they don't just sign enough players. So we uh, we could do really well having him. But also, you know, just hearing Paul speak then again, it was making me think about all our young players that are in that academy that have gone out on loan. You know, similar probably to the Garner situation with Man United. It'll be great to see some of them break through. Uh, Johnson again, this Swan isn't there. I can't remember where he's gone out on loan, and we've got this group of youngsters again. And you know they save our club year in year out. Really, we've been able to sell them or play them, and we've got some exciting ones ready. Hopefully, for some some real game time next season. So that should be interesting.
0: Yeah, true. Uh, Swan's at Port Vale, and I think he's got one goal so far, but he's got some promise certainly. What, on Kravinovic, Greg, because um, Paul's on, he kind of reminded me, is Kravinovich maybe more of a Radimajewski type player who's a bit more box-to-box, gets on the ball, rather than a proper number 10? And could that open up a spot for maybe a Johnson? Oh, I know you'd love a Carvalho to play back in there. I don't, don't see just, that yeah. happening. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> but do you see a different midfield next season that still includes Kravinovich, possibly?
1: Um It's a good point, really, because then, you know, are we even going to ask for him? I see what you're saying. Um, I just think he's a quality player. So, you know, in any position he's he's asked to play in, he'll be a benefit for our club. Um, So, of course, there'll be room for him in other areas. Um, I find it hard with the, the Raddy connection just I mean I don't know mainly because of size really but uh, <laughs> I I used to just love watching Raddy play you know that West Brom game just unbelievable I'll never forget that Um if he can play like Raddy did then I'd be delighted and I'd, I'd want him back next season 100% Tell us about Raddy Paul what was he like to play with?
2: Uh Technically a gifted player but like we were so fortunate really when you start you look at some of the players we had with Raddy, Lewis McGugan coming through. Um just players who were technically gifted. They were very good. And like you say, when you're saying you're signing these play- players, why are we signing these players? Why are Forrest signing these players? Billy was so clever with it. Billy signed Paul McKenna for a reason. We had Guy Moosey for a reason. They were there to sit and hold. So you had your likes of Chris Cohen, you had your Radimieskis, Lewis McGugans, myself, Nathan Tyson, Gareth McCleary, all these attacking players that you could go, do you know what? You go and do what you've got to do. If you haven't got that sitter who is good and can control that team, you're going to struggle. So, look, um, apologies, I can't pronounce his name, the lad that we're talking about. But he, yeah. <laughs> if he fits... If he fits the bill in a right position, if he's an attacking, is there a sitting midfielder that can sit there and do that role to allow him to get the best out of himself? Raddy was great at it because he had people behind him that he didn't have to worry about getting back in. Mm.
0: Well, I guess it's James Garner, hopefully, Greg, isn't it? If Mm. not, maybe Ryan Yates or someone else who we haven't got in the squad at the moment, possibly. One thing I was going to ask you, Paul, from what you were saying there, um, when you were playing under Billy then, did you go on the pitch knowing Really prescribed exactly this is what we're going to do because he was a great organiser, or do you actually just say, uh, make sure you cover the fullback and go and do what you want in an attacking sense? What, how prescriptive was Billy?
2: Um, oh, it's so hard because look, we're having a two minute conversation about it and you're working on something for years. Um, we knew, I knew my role was to double up with my right back. And going forward, to simplify it, I knew I had to help out defensively, track back. And when we were going forward, I could just go and be myself. Um, it's To progress it, it started to go... When I first came, I was an out-and-out winger. I literally ran up and down that touchline. And that's where I stayed. Billy slowly started pulling me inside, getting me to come inside, pick up the ball in pockets and things like that. So... He wanted me to slowly start playing in a different way. But again, you have to understand your players and their capabilities. That worked very well for me because I read the game well, whereas someone else, they might be better just putting them on the wing wing if they're that quick and they've got good delivery. You just keep them there. So Billy was clever with his signings and I I know he gets a lot of stick and I know there's, there's a bit of Water under the bridge, isn't there? But he was extremely clever in how he set up his team, and we knew exactly what we were doing. And then we knew if we didn't do a certain thing. So if someone played a one-two around us, we knew we were getting it. No, we never allowed. If you watch his teams, the amount of fouls we would have given away to stop someone playing a one-two around us. If someone played a one-two around us, we were we were getting told. So you didn't worry about where that ball went. You just stopped your man going back past you. So little things like that, you knew you knew that that didn't happen against us.
0: Yeah, so, I remember Paul McKenna giving away quite a few niggly fouls to stop plenty of attacks. That was sort of what he was very good at.
2: All the time. So Billy, Billy told us to those small points, this doesn't happen. This is one of my pet hates. This doesn't happen. So we knew that we didn't allow that to happen. Mm, mm.
0: Um. So I appreciate we're switching from present to past, but there's some interesting comparisons between the success of Billy Billy Davis's team and what's happening today. So I think that's why we're going back and forth with it. Um. I wanted to ask about Nicholas Randall's interview, Greg, with the Supporters Trust. From a a fans' point of view, were What were, were you encouraged by what you heard? I. Uh,
1: I, I actually made some notes. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, I wasn't, you know, I thought. Oh I didn't want to sit through this. I thought, 40 minutes, it's just going to be, say what we want to hear, you know, hear all that. And, but I quite enjoyed it, to be honest. And he did, he, I think the trust did get some interesting things from it. Um, you know, took over the club from when the owner had lost interest. I think we all knew that with Fawaz, but it was nice to hear it from the current chairman's uh, mouth. Because I know a few people probably watching this who haven't bothered to sit down and watch the full 40 minutes. Um, he says he recognised they were too inclined to take the short termism route early on, which is good to hear. And hopefully, you know, hearing that was great, but hopefully they then now are saying we're not looking short term, we're going to get some long term, whether that's signings, uh, things like that. Uh, admitting that they got the season card options wrong, that's something I really wanted to hear and something I didn't really expect to hear, to be honest. So it's nice that he he sat there and we all know that our chairman speaks really well anyway. That's probably half the reason he was put in the position. But again it was good to hear. Um I was surprised when he was asked the question about the club structure. Um I mean I I have had quite a few meetings with them so I do understand who who does work there for but for him to say from the very start it was literally basically just the chairman, the CEO in Yanis and then um Johnny Owen the director um, I'd I'd love to see us you know get some other real strong people behind the scenes because I'm sure we must desperately need it because our club's been running on empty for years <laughs> behind the scenes and it'd be great to get some people you know from Premier League clubs scout some some directors or whatever we need uh, to um, sorry I've just lost my page To I just <laughs> don't think three people at that high role is enough in our club, especially with our aspirations. Um, and you know, when we were talking about Norwich earlier, I wanted to say this at the time: um, the way they just dominated us just proved the massive void between the Premier League and the Championship. Uh, and the chairman touched upon the the footballing pyramid, how unfair it was. Um, he said, he said, uh, we're not able to develop young players anymore without having to let them go too soon and it's an unfair system and I'm so happy that our club have recognised that and are are publicly saying that because it's been unfair for years and you know, Norwich coming down this year like a West Brom are going to come down this year we know they're going to go straight back up and this huge void has to be shortened it's the only fair way for it to happen and I'm, I'm glad that Nicholas Randall said that so it was worth watching in my view Um, Obviously, they're not going to answer half the questions that we'd have all liked to ask. And I'm sure the trust would have liked to ask. But you've got to stand up and say fair play for him to get in on camera. And I think there's going to be a second one now where they talk about the stadium developments, which we're all obviously really eager to hear about.
0: Um, I know you haven't watched all of it, Paul, and maybe you've seen bits of it. One thing Greg said there about Nicholas Ryan talking about the uneven playing fields. I mean, did you get a bit narked when, you know, Newcastle are coming down from the Premier League with all the money behind them? Did it always feel like an uneven playing field when you were at Forest trying to get up?
2: Uh, It's so hard. Uh, It's the way it is. Like, all it takes is for one season for Forrest to do well and then they'll be in the Premier League and then everyone will be looking at Forest in the same way. But if, if we're honest, Forest have a good following and probably have much better finances than a lot of teams in that league as it is. So it's catch-22. Look, at the end of the day, you should be rewarded for being successful. So if you have got to the Premier League, for me... If you've got to the Premier League, fair play to you, you deserve to have that financial reward because that's where the money's at. Unfortunately, Forest haven't been there for too long now. But it's still a club that can be that outside chance. Look, anyone in the top six, look what Blackpool did to us, sorry for going back to it. But look like anyone can do that. There's six places, so a quarter of the a quarter of the division have a chance. To get promoted so there's no reason why Forest can't be one of those squads and they've been close enough over the past sort 10-12 of years just haven't quite done it um, I agree it's a little unfair um, but it's the way the cookie crumbles and that's the way it is and I think also when you start saying about is there a big goal in terms of, of players and you can't allow young lads to come through well yeah you can You've just got to back him. Look, look at what Johnson's doing out at Lincoln. He's flying. He's doing mm-hmm. amazing. But well, I bet when he comes back next year, uh, I'm not sure how close he'll be to that first team. Yet yeah, he's gone out and he's proved himself. So, have has a manager, has the club got that? Because let's be honest, Forest have brought through some very good young players. They've sold Ollie Burke. They sold um, what's the lad? Now that's gone to Blackburn. Um, uh, ben Brereton, Brereton Matty Brereton. Cash Arvin um, Apaya yeah they've sold plenty the, the club sold a lot of players and that, look if that's the way the club is run that's perfect because that's obviously giving the finances to 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 fund a good a good enough squad that they think might be pushing for promotion so it's all swings and roundabouts and again we if we talk about Wickham Wickham will sit there and go well this isn't fair is it we're up against thingy but you know what Wickham are Probably relishing the chance to be in and amongst the the same clubs as a Norwich, as a Nottingham Forest. So it, it's just the way the leagues are run. And unfortunately, look, it would be great if the lower clubs could be supported more. But again, at the end of the day, it's a business as well as a sport, and clubs have to run their club how they think they can and how they and what they can afford. You can't just keep throwing money at it and hoping that something's going to happen one season and then it doesn't. So it, it's a difficult structure. It really is because there's so many emotions in it. You've got so many fans and things that depend on it. Um, so it's like it's not it's not just a normal business because your assets are people and there's so many emotions, in it, with people who own the business, people who run the business, the fans who follow the business, the players who play for the business. So it's 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 not like you're selling a, a bit of cardboard or something that has no emotion or feeling. It's there's so many emotions and feelings involved in it, um, included in it. Yeah, as Paul
0: says, it's not a normal business, is it, Greg? Spending 148 pounds for every hundred that comes in—they're very reliant on the benevolence of one owner, aren't they? Well, benevolence might not be the right word. The ambitions of one owner to get to the Premier League—what did you make of what Nicholas Randall said about the um, the owner and his backing of the club? A double-edged sword, or 100% positive? Um, again, it's just words, isn't it? And it, you
1: know. The backing comes with things like writing off the uh, loans. That's Mm. a positive thing. He actually is, you know, he's talking with his wallet there and saying, I'm here for the long term. Um, I don't know whether I got the wrong end of the stick with with what he said about um, the pyramid, going back to that. But the way I understood it was Norwich can come down with Premier League players, but because of financial fair play restrictions... Even though our owner could probably go out and buy them, we're not going to be able to buy them because of the restrictions placed on us that these Premier League dropouts don't seem to have for the first few seasons. Oh, just gone oh. dark. <laughs> um, but, pay your electricity bill. <laughs> I've got a dodgy light. Um, <laughs> I think I'm excited about the new stadium development. If that happens, for me, that is the. Concrete evidence that we all want to see that this guy's here for the long term and he means business um what I hated hearing but also agreed with was what the chairman said at the very start about the old owner just basically got bored you know and had enough and that could easily happen, but I think Mr. marianakis is clearly a football guy because he owns a club already and they're very successful, so I think we're in a very uh almost unique position where we're, we're probably not his priority because Olympiacos is his blood, but it could benefit us. And we're still very early into this ownership. It's good that they're doing things. They've clearly got things wrong and things that have really annoyed me over the past uh, few years. But I see a lot of hope there. And I, I really do think if if they continue to engage with fans like that, Uh, it can only be a positive thing I'd love to see the CEO or the chairman sit down with a journalist and answer some you know (laughs) journalistic (laughs) questions but I can understand why they went with the trust because maybe they could uh you know favor it a little bit their way but it's it was a positive thing and you know I would say to anyone it is worth watching uh yeah break what have you but no no I agree I agree it was worth
0: watching it was an interesting interview they're probably, you know, as you say, it's kind of friendly turf for them. There may have, may have been a few follow-ups about the recruitment side of it yeah. if it was a different person asking questions. But I think you give credit to the Trust for asking some sharp questions mm. and credit to Nicholas Randall for fronting up and answering them. So, yeah, a positive all-round. Paul, there was one other thing I wanted to ask you about which Nicholas Randall said, which I found interesting, about the turnover of players. I, I think I'm paraphrasing here, Greg, so correct me if I'm wrong. But he said something along the lines of players will adapt quickly, even if there's a lot of change when it comes to um, a new manager and new players coming in? I mean, Forrest signed 14 players last summer. If you were in that dressing room, would you be thinking, bloody hell, this is a lot of change, it's going to be hard to adapt to? Or do you just kind of get your head down and and crack on and feel like you can make it work?
2: Um, It takes time, let's be honest (laughs) I don't want to keep going back to where I was, but I can only go off my experience. So when I've signed for teams, the longer you have the same players and the same managers with the same philosophy, let's use Swansea city as an example, even when a manager left, they, the manager, the new manager that they brought in, they've all had exactly the same philosophy as the old manager. So they play good football and blah, blah. So you know what? The players that are already there will fit into to the style of what the club are trying to go forward. So that's why Swansea have been pretty successful considering the size of the squad, uh, size of the club. Sorry. So they've been very successful for what for the past fifteen years. They've been very good. Um, so again, you, I don't know. It, it's a it's a tough one, isn't it? Really.
0: Yeah, it is. I mean, I always thought 14 signings was a bit ridiculous. If, if they'd have made six or seven signings, then it might have, might have been a bit more um,
2: constructive, I suppose. It's hard because it gives, you, it gives you the competition. It makes it healthy. So, look, I don't want to be on that team sheet every week not having to look over my shoulder and worry about who's coming behind me for my position. You want it to be healthy. You want it to be a good squad. But also, you as a manager, I can't imagine Imagine it's easy if you've got a squad of 26 to 30 players. Well, hang on, eight, 8, 10, 12 of them aren't going to be in the squad. So that manager has to deal with those players as well who aren't in the squad. So how do you keep everybody happy? So it's having that fine balance of the right players for the right team. If you can have two very good players... For every position, I think. So you've got 22 very good players and there maybe a couple of young lads who uh, will be happy to be in the squad. They're not going to be disappointed if they're dropped. They'll be like, oh, I'm in and around the squad. I think that's a healthy number. Um, so changing 14 is a lot. But <laughs> who knows? <laughs> There's the people who come down from the Premier League who want to go back to the Premier League. So they might have healthier squads, but they might have unhappy squads. Mm. Yeah. So you, you, don't, you don't want four left-backs then? <laughs> well, preferably not. No. <laughs> no,
0: no, you don't. That's where Forrest seemed um, Right. I wanted just to finish up, Paul, talking about where you're at at the moment, because obviously fans will be interested to know what you're doing um, these days. Last time you were on, you'd left Northampton after helping them to promotion, but obviously the pandemic struck and money was very tight um how's it going looking for another club and what else are you you up to in life at the moment
2: i've i've got an agent who's working on my behalf so he's out looking again i have to be realistic it's probably a little bit late in the season for anything to happen unfortunately um i'd love to carry on playing i know i've still got it i'm only 32 and i'm as fit as a fiddle i'm as fit and maybe not quite as fast as I was but I'm still sharp Um, and obviously I had a massive part to play in Northampton getting promoted last season which I'm extremely proud of Um, so I'm still hoping that something's there look I have to be realistic Uh, having a season without playing there's going to be question marks over my head but I back myself a million percent if someone came in and offered me something um, and again, it might might come down to something coming into the summer where I have to go and train with a club and, and try and prove myself again. Um, stranger things have happened. So that's where I'm at. I'm keeping myself fit. And um, I've set up my own um, coaching business now. So um, obviously, with the pandemic, it's been difficult. Um, but I've, legally, I've been allowed to do one-to-one sessions. Um, so I've been doing a lot of those, um, getting my coaching badges, trying to um, I'm right at the end of my UEFA B badge which allows me to coach at professional level and I'll go on to my UEFA A um, so I'm running my own business with that and just trying to speak to local clubs, speak to people and if they want me to come in and do do any coaching sessions um, I'm open to, to that really and um, just looking to progress my career beyond football I suppose
0: What's the name of your business? Give yourself a plug since you're giving your time oh, for free. Yeah, yeah.
2: um, well, it's Paul Anderson, Private Football Coaching. So um, it's simple on Instagram and things. It's Paul Anderson, PFC. Um, look, it's not much of a business name, but it, it's my name. And I think from what I've done in football and especially in and around the Nottingham area, and I'm, I'm obviously based, Melton Mowbray, mm-hmm. Leicestershire way, Um I have a relatively good name for what I've done in football. So, um, look, people get the opportunity to have one-to-one training with... I I still class myself as a professional footballer, but one day I'm going to have to say ex-professional footballer, aren't I? Um, I'm not quite... The boots aren't quite tied up yet. Um, But, But yeah, it's it's an opportunity for people to have have one-to-one coaching with me and, and... Maybe get to, get into some of my experience and knowledge that I've had from playing professional football for fifteen, sixteen years. Just lastly,
0: what's your long term hope? Then is it to be a coach at, at a club, or are you looking, or is this business probably your your dream to really establish that?
2: No, look, I'm setting my targets high. I, I would look. I never achieved to play in the Premier League as a player, and i I think the way I can manage people and and speak to people. I think I would be very fair and I'd be very honest, and I'd like to think that I could manage at the highest level possible. So that's my aim. Um, it's where I'd like to get to. Um, obviously, it's going to take me. I've probably got a 10-, 15 fifteen-year plan to to become a, a first-team manager because I'm still young. Um, so thirty-two. So by the time I get to my early early forties, I'll be I'll be aiming to be a be a manager at a professional club. So that's my aim. In the meantime, obviously, I've got to build up as much experience as possible um, and, and hope that hope that pff, right place, right time, maybe. Um, and maybe someone I know who goes into a first team, who's a little bit older than me, gives me an opportunity coaching. Um, and yeah, you never know where you go. But at the end of the day, I'm just trying to get as much experience as possible, um, do as many sessions as I possibly can. Um, and you never know where it's going to lead me so that's my aim whether or not i get there who knows but I'll be I'll be trying well don't
0: forget when you do get there don't go all big time when you're managing in the Premier League
2: Oh, well, hopefully it'll be Forest.
0: That'd be nice. Oh, well, yeah, that would be nice. Forrest in the Premier League with you as manager. Yeah, lovely. Um, right. We shall leave it there. Thanks very much to everyone who watched along. As I said earlier, do go back and listen or watch Paul's episode where he talks about his career. It's really interesting, talking about the highs and the lows that he's experienced at the, the top level and further down the pyramid. Greg, thanks as ever for joining us. I do appreciate And making notes. I very much appreciate that. I'm taking it very seriously. Man. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Do give us a good review on itunes and subscribe to our youtube channel Uh, thanks very much we shall catch you all soon thank you for listening to garibaldi red a nottingham forest podcast if you enjoyed today's episode then please let us know we love hearing your feedback we'll be back soon with another episode thanks for listening